Well, hello. I'm so glad you're here. You know, this podcast is all about our sense of smell, and I want to explore this beautiful sense from lots of different angles, which means I want to talk to people who harness smell in lots of different ways. In this episode, we're going to dive into writing fiction, and specifically writing fiction where smelling, scent, and aroma are at the heart of the story. My guest today is someone who's deeply connected to our sense of smell, not only because she lost it for a short time, which we talk about, but because she believes it's a great way for us to pay attention to people, to places, really to the world all around us. Does that sound familiar? It should. (laughs) Because that's absolutely my motto. Smelling helps us pay attention to the here and now, and it gives us amazing experiences that we sadly often ignore. So let me tell you a little bit about my guest. Her name is Erica Bauermeister, and she's the New York Times bestselling author of five novels, including The School of Essential Ingredients and The Scent Keeper, both of which we specifically get into in this conversation. By the way, The Scent Keeper was a Reese Witherspoon book club pick. Not bad, huh? Seriously, it's a really good book that I hope you'll check out. Erica's also got a new book coming out in May 2023 called No Two Persons, which I can't wait to read, as well as the memoir House Lessons. Her work has been translated into over 25 languages and has been called Delicious Enough to Devour. I love that. So let's get started. Enjoy my conversation with author Erica Bauermeister. This is An Aromatic Life, the podcast that aims to shed light on our beautiful sense of smell and increase its profile in a culture dominated by sight and sound. My name is Frau Kigalia. I'm a certified aromatherapist and smell coach who spent over 20 years in and around the fragrance industry. What I know for sure after all these years is that our sense of smell is powerful, yet is so underappreciated. There's so much we can do to harness our sense of smell to be well. So join me as I explore this mesmerizing sense from all different angles and learn what it can do for you. Enjoy the show. I want to welcome you to an aromatic life, Erica. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Oh, I'm so happy that I get to talk to you about these wonderful books that you've written and the fact that they're all scent, smell, sensory related, at least the two that I would like to focus on are, um, I'm really excited to dive deeper into how you even came about writing these kinds of stories, because there's a lot you could write about, right? So the fact that you chose uh, scent is, is really exciting. So I'm looking forward to talking to you about that. But the question I like to ask all my guests first and foremost is, what does the sense of smell mean to you? Well, You know, I think like most people, I'm intrigued by the aspect of the sense of smell that makes the the one sense, probably the most subliminal sense we have. And I am fascinated by the subliminal. Everything I write about is the subliminal one way or another. And I think that the sense of smell is the most subliminal one we've got because it just bypasses the intellect and goes straight for the emotions. So it's, it's a very pure, it's a wonderful place to live when you're a writer trying to come up with what's the what's the basis of a character? What's their most core value? That's going to come out of their emotions. So I love living in that part of the world. But as a writer, the challenge of the sense of smell is that we don't have a lot of words to describe it. 
um, because it is so subliminal, because we don't pay attention to it, we just don't have the adjectives the way we do for vision or taste or, I mean, or touch or any of those. And so as a writer, you're, you're, you're challenged and almost immediately thrown into poetry and metaphor yeah. and, um, and some really fascinating places to live as a writer. Yeah. I mean, your metaphors are incredible. I just love them. They're so beautiful. Well, and, and, you know, see, you really just don't have a choice. You know, everything is something salty taste, something that has salt tastes salty, fish smells fishy, as we call it the add a Y phenomenon, you know, you just, there aren't other words. And so you are instantly thrown out into that more um, poetic, interesting atmosphere. Do you think it's also, because I've talked to a number of my guests on the podcast about language and scent. And one of the things that, you know, some of my guests have said is that it's not so much that we can't describe things is that we've never learned how to describe things yes. from an early age. I mean, we're told, you know, we're shown how to visually describe things or, you know, orally and all that, but really smelling, nobody spends the time talking about that other than yuck. Or well, yeah. And I, I read an interesting article recently that was talking about how with COVID, because so many people are losing their sense of smell, they were doing surveys of people and asking them about their sense of smell. And they said, all of a sudden, they're developing this language to talk about smell because, you know, they're, they're sort of, you know, check the box kind of questions, but then there's a free form draft or response kind of thing. And, and they're saying that the, that the responses they're getting from people who have lost their sense of smell are so full of yearning and poetry and language that they're just they because this means so much to them that they are actually developing a language for smells in a way that they never were before. And I found that really fascinating. That is great. That's great. Um, but that's the thing. When you lose it, you start to yearn for it and you start yeah. to get very nostalgic about what you used to smell and you didn't think much about it, right? Yes, exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Now, am I correct? I think you had mentioned that at some point you lost your sense of smell. Is that right? Yeah, it was temporary. Um, ironically, it was the weekend that I made the firm commitment to start writing Scentkeeper. The book had been floating in my head for probably three or four years. And we were out on the west coast of Vancouver Island doing a, a pretty strenuous hike. And um, I, the whole location just felt like that remote Pacific Northwest location that I wanted for the book. And so I was very inspired. And the first night uh, we were hiking, we were in a tent and there were bears. And so you had bear spray. And unfortunately the bear spray went off accidentally in the tent. Oh, and wow. You do not want that up your nose. <laughs> I just got to tell you, uh, yeah. worse to have it in your eyes, but really bad to have it up your nose. And um, I pretty well, all I could smell for several days was sort of that, um, it's sort of like mace. It's this combination of kind of petroleum and a really sharp pepper smell. And, and then that kind of went away and I didn't have much of anything. It was just dull. And I was terrified. Also, I wanted to write a book about the sense of smell. So it was right. really bad timing. And so I went through the training. Um, oh, you did? Okay. That is mentioned in Scentkeeper um, and that a lot of perfumers go through to kind of bring it back. I, I think you were, offer courses in it as well. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm here to say that in my case, it really worked. Oh, um, it's not as good as it was before, but I can cook. I can do the things I love to do. Right, right, right. It was a way to get back at least to some yeah. smell. It's, it's mm -hmm. a chance to improve. No, that's wonderful. But you probably appreciated your sense of smell even more after that experience, I imagine. Yeah. 
Yes, the I mean, joke. <laughs> that if there's this feeling of yearning in the scent keeper, it comes completely from my desire to get my sense of smell back. It does. It does. It's it's, it's like well, we'll get to that. We'll get to the to Emmeline and all that, but um, it does come through in the story for sure. So let me ask you another question about our sense of smell, since you are so good at writing about it. Is um, do you think there's anything that people miss about the sense? Like, what do they not get, or what do they get wrong about the sense of smell? Um. You know, it's interesting because I've written about kind of the marketing aspect, the way smell is used to help, you know, make people feel comfortable in a hotel or become interested in buying something or, you know, whatever it is, stay longer at a slot machine in a casino, you know, um, all those kinds of things. And, and I've, you know, had, I've talked with book clubs and readers and they say, oh, people are just manipulating us. And, you know, here's the thing, smell is a form of communication. Mm -hmm. And if you don't pay attention, then yes, it is manipulative. But if you do pay attention, then it's this other, other whole level of, of a way of interacting with the world and other people um, that, that, you know, it becomes this superpower. And so I, you know, I truly believe you can only be manipulated if you're not paying attention. And yeah. so my goal is to get people to do that um, and to bring that forward in their lives. And then, and then it's just, the world is alive. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. It's like the world is, when you pay attention, the world is technicolor. I mean, you know, yeah. to use a visual <laughs> reference, but um, it's just, it's just so, it's so much more complex than we even subconsciously experience it. It's, it's just consciously, it's so nice to bring it to the forefront and say, oh, wow, I didn't even think about that. Or look at this experience or, you know, smell this. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's really wonderful when you, when you really put some focus on it. So thank you for doing that in your writing too. Really, really appreciate that. Cause I'm, I'm hoping that when people read the story, they'll go, oh yeah, I should, you know, remember to smell my food a little bit more or um, mm -hmm. the world around me or the place I'm on vacation, you know, wherever it is just to mm -hmm. smell a little bit more. So I'm on that mission too, Erica. <laughs> I, know you are. I love it. <laughs> um, so then on the other spectrum, you know, people miss things, but do you think there's a lot of potential for a sense of smell that we haven't tapped into yet as other things mm -hmm. that Gosh, absolutely. I mean, I think that was one of the most fascinating things I found in the research that I was doing was just how many ways the sense of smell is being used to make people's lives better, um, you know, with Alzheimer's patients or in a hospital setting, you know, having someone choose a scent that they want to have present in the room when they come out of anesthesia after surgery. And they find that people's recovery rates are remarkably faster. Yeah. Um, I even read a study about um, they, they were using patients, diabetic patients, and they would be in the room, they'd be getting their insulin shot and the smell would be in the room. And then within several days, you could put the smell in the room and they would have a reaction as if they had gotten insulin and yet they hadn't. And wow. so there's so many ways where we can start to, to use these things. Um, you know, if you're going to take a test to make sure that you've got a smell when you're studying like lavender, whatever it is, exactly. have yeah. that smell with you when you take the test and your memory is going to be so much better. Yes. So they're just, I, I, I just love, I mean, they sound like life hacks, but really again, it's just paying attention. I want to, take a step back and explore little Erica. Is that okay? Go back. <laughs> she smiles. <laughs> I want to go back a little bit in time. 
can you give me a little sense of your journey to to where you are today? Like, where were you born? Tell me where you were born. Oh, Pasadena, California. Oh, so I grew California up in girl. Spa, which is kind of going to, you know, blunt your sense of smell right there. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that means eucalyptus. That means, yeah. you know, and I was, I was a little child baker and our oven was not very well calibrated. And I learned quickly that you couldn't trust the, you know, the recipe would say 12 minutes and the things would come out charred. So that wasn't going to work. And so I really had to train my nose to know when a batch of cookies was ready. And that's probably one of the main things I remember other than, you know, the, the classics, my grandfather's pipe or my grandmother's Chanel number no. five, that was her and um, in a very good way. Um, and so, but it really wasn't until I was kind of I would say premenopausal. We're gonna, we're just going to blame hormones, right? Yeah, let's blame place. them right now. I'm right there. Oh, yeah, we're just blaming them. Um, but I kind of I and I went that way kind of early. So it was in my late 30s, early 40s, and all of a sudden, I, I mean, the joke was you could have used me to track kidnap victims. I mean, my nose wow. went astonishingly good. I, you know, there's um there's a really cool memoir, Season to Taste. Yes, and I know. Well, you know, the chef who, who loses her sense of smell. And at one point she talks about smelling her brain. And I thought that sounded so weird. But during that period of time for me, you know, I could, my daughter would walk in the front door and I knew from the back of the house, if she'd been near anybody that smoked a cigarette, you know, she was, she was just so toast anyway. But there was this smell that I would it would happen if I'd been watching TV or working on the computer it was this sort of hot electrical smell. And I kept saying to my husband, can you smell that? And he'd say, no, you're going yeah. crazy. And finally I read that memoir and I said, it's my brain. I'm smelling my brain. And it was only for a couple of months, but it was, it really, it, it just fascinated me. And so um, I actually first started writing about smell in my second book, Joy for Beginners. Okay. where there's a character who's a perfume matcher. And so I started doing all this research because I just thought it was such an interesting topic and really dove deep into it for that one. Um, but it was about, you know, it was until the, the bear spray, but it was about this 10 years where, again, it, it was Technicolor, all factory Technicolor yeah, is really yeah. what it was. Um, and, and the world literally looked different. It just did. And that comes through in your writing, definitely in your characters, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so going back again, I know we're going to the present, but um, just did you connect with your sense of smell when you were young? Did you even think about it? Did anybody in your family talk about smells or not so much? No, not really. Um, you know, I think I did as much as any any average kid does, okay. you know, I mean, the, the cookie thing. I mean, I really was, people have asked and I really thought about it, but it really wasn't until I was in my 30s and 40s that it made, well, when you have children, when you have babies, there's something about that that's very smell oriented. Yes. Um, yes. So it probably started a little earlier than that. But um, no, I mean, I was, I'm terrible. I'm one of those people that is, I, I understand why people don't pay attention because I didn't. I mean, listen, I worked in the fragrance industry for a long time and I was around people who smelled all the time, but and then I had to smell, but before then I didn't think about it at all. And I didn't certainly didn't think about people who couldn't smell, you know, there's just, you're just going about your day because in, I think in society and our culture, people mm -hmm. aren't talking about it very much. It's, it's almost negative. I feel like smells are yes. negative more than they are positive. Increasingly yeah. so. And I think that's the thing is you notice it if it's extra good or extra bad. Right. And I, I sometimes feel like there are all these little smells out there that are just going, Hey, Hey, 
I could, yes. I, could, I could change your life. I could make your day better. And they're just sitting there kind of waiting around. No one's paying any attention. Maybe yeah. they're just off having a party all by themselves. I don't know. Maybe they don't care about us at all. Yeah, but right, right, right. You feel like <laughs> just such a waste, you know. It is a waste. It is a waste. So some of your mem- most memorable smells from childhood are, you said eucalyptus. Yes, definitely living in California. Eucalyptus has to be part of it. I imagine yeah. in Pasadena, citrus was probably big too, wasn't it? Yes, yes. The orange groves. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and smog, which has its own smell, um, you it know, cars and smog, unfortunately, that was going to be part of it. And, you know, cut grass and, and I, you know, it's really interesting because my second grade teacher wore a perfume that I still to this day, if I smell that perfume, I am back in second grade. And I know I was around a lot of people that had perfumes. I do not want to know why this one perfume imprinted. <laughs> I don't know the name of it. Nothing. Um, you just but- know when you smell it. Yeah, that's it's second grade. I, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's so fascinating. Gosh, that memories. Yeah, yeah. They can come out of nowhere and you're like, I don't know why I know this, but this is so familiar. <laughs> yeah. And that's the fun of it. And and pretty much you know, since since Scentkeeper came out, you know, I, I talked to a lot of readers and everyone has that. There's one scent that is this scent that will come out of nowhere and take you straight back. It feels like magic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 the best. Um now, were you a writer in like in high school? Did you enjoy writing? Um, I, I wrote really sincere poetry. It was terrible. Oh. No, and, that's good. Um, but I wanted to be a writer. So I went to graduate school okay. and got a PhD. I'm like John Irving. I gradually learned I didn't have to keep going to school. Um, but, you know, I got the full PhD. And then I wrote a series of memoirs that were never published, which made sense because I just I, I was learning my craft, but I didn't have the, I don't know, the maturity, the emotional wherewithal, the distance, the perspective, whatever it requires to, to write a memoir well. Um, and then I fell into fiction. I really did not anticipate that I would ever write fiction, um, but that came through cooking, actually, which ah. is cooking and living overseas. Those two things, I think, really shifted me uh, into. into okay. Thinking. Where so did I, you live overseas? In Italy. Just for two years. In- Oh, how wonderful. I know. I know. You can just shoot me right now. (laughs) (laughs) And then no wonder your cooking also got more interesting then too. Oh, it totally changed. It it, it went from recipe-based to, you know, feel the weight in your hand, smell the ingredients and see how they might go together. I mean, it was a very freeform, intuitive way to approach it. And it really did utilize your nose and your taste buds in a way that recipe-based cooking could not. Right, right, right. I mean, that's what's where so many people are so afraid to move away from recipes. I have to say, I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm doing it more now, but for a long time, I just relied so much on recipes because it's just, mm-hmm. it's the crutch, the crutches you need, you know, to kind of make sure your food t- turns out okay, but you don't have to go that way. Well, and you know, it's, it's in an interesting way, it's a little bit like mixing a perfume is, you know, the sort of you know which ones are the base notes and the middle notes and the top notes. And you know, you kind of need certain proportions in order to make the perfume have the right body and hold together well. Cooking is exactly the same way. You know, certain things will add certain elements to a dish. And once you kind of have that vocabulary in your mind, then it's much easier to cook. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. I want to get into scent and writing a little bit more, um, but I wanted to, you know, go into the school of essential ingredients and the scent keeper a little bit deeper. But before I do that, I just want to ask you, it sounds like you, from what you've been telling me, that you've kind of gotten into describing sensor you were curious about sense through the cooking and then obviously you wrote about cooking and in school of essential ingredients which is great how did you think to write so extensively about the senses i mean because a lot of people a lot of books i read they they hint at it here and there but they're more into developing the character in other ways and for you it just comes through, the characters are completely sense oriented and I'm just curious how you, how, why you approached it that way. Um, I mean, kind of backwards, I think. Okay. I had, I, I vividly remember reading the uh, Patrick's, Patrick Suskind's book, Perfume Story yes. of Mother, and being gobsmacked by his writing, just his ability to encapsulate a smell in words. It was so sensual. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of killing virgins in order to create a perfume. Right. I, I, I don't need to go there, but the rest of it, his writing was extraordinary. And I kept thinking, I want to do that. I want to make the world feel that three-dimensional. And, and that was just sort of sitting in the back of my head for a long time. It was just sort of, that's a goal, right? I would like to be able to do that. And I read Diane Ackerman's Natural History of the Senses, which yes. is, an extraordinary book as well. And she's the queen of metaphors. Yes. Um, she could just, and, and I probably read that book four times while I was writing my first books, just because anytime I would feel like I was getting too much in my head and I needed to get back in my body and be using my senses in my writing, um, because you're right, most writers use vision and that's it. And yeah. I was determined not to do that. And I would go back and read her book again. And it would just kind of get me in the right mood. Um, but, you know, I, I do think it is, was backwards because what happened was we lived in Italy. I took cooking classes there, returned home in 1999. The food thing, it's hard to imagine, but back then it wasn't as big of a deal. Yeah. And, you know, I missed my people, you know, <laughs> so I took a cooking class and um, we killed crabs with our bare hands because this is the Pacific Northwest and we do things like that, except I had never done anything like that. I did not anticipate doing anything like that. It was visceral. It was intimate. It was weird. And I was doing it with a group of strangers. And I just got this idea for this book. What would it be like if you took eight strangers and kept them together in a cooking class for, say, eight months? And what would happen? And what would be the food that would affect each one of these people um, in their own way? So I always say I got shocked into fiction. So it, that crab, killing crabs changed my life, but how might it change someone else's. So in School of Essential Ingredients, that same activity changes the life of a young mother um, who, and it's it's weird to connect motherhood and violence, but it did and it worked. And um, and then other people needed other foods. And, and so because the food was so critical to their character development, you know, it's the widower who has to learn how to make pasta uh, because that's another event like caretaking a dying spouse that requires a lot of time and effort and love. And yet then at the end of the night, it's gone. And you can see that as a loss or you can see that as a gift. And yeah. so 
but it had to come through the act of making the pasta. I, I mean, I couldn't just sit there and say, it's important what he did. It's a, that, that's not fiction, that's not literature. So I needed to inhabit that pasta making and that requires all your senses. And so again, I didn't set out to do it. With Scent Keeper then, I set out to do it. I, I had written the, the perfume matcher in Joy for Beginners. I wasn't done with the topic. That was kind of a short story. And I was fascinated by the idea of what would it be like to grow up with smell as your default sense? You still have all five senses, but smell is the go-to, the first one. And how would what would our world look like to a kid that was raised that way? How weird and, and blinded must we appear to someone who has the full use of that faculty? Yeah. I mean, long answer, sorry, but there you go. <laughs> no, no, no. But let's just because you're talking about it right now, we'll skip right to Scent Keeper because when I read that, I have never read a story that I connected with so much, probably because I'm so obsessed with our sense of smell. But, and anybody who's listening who is also, you're going to love this book if you haven't read it already, The Scent Keeper. Um, but it was exactly that. It's like, imagine if you focused on your sense of smell first and foremost. Mm-hmm. beyond and I love that um, without giving away too much but I love that the other um, main one of the main characters her boyfriend is the opposite he's all about a sense of sight right so that was kind of like the juxtaposition of some of your everyday person who's focused on sight more I mean it was heightened for several reasons which we won't give away here but um, yeah but it's and then the dog was also I, the dog's couple of dogs in the story right but um that was also fascinating because dogs are very smell oriented right but it's a different it's an animal it's a pet as opposed to a human and i I just love the all the different ways you brought sense of smell into a cohesive story so thank you for that well i also thought you know it's it's, um emeline is brought up on a very remote island because i i realized that in order for a child to be brought up with smell as her default sense sense she'd have to be completely isolated from the world because otherwise it's going to be all vision. (laughs) So I discovered the Broughton Archipelago, which is a very remote area off the sort of northern, north and east of the tip of Vancouver Island. And very few people live up there. It's this gorgeous, very naturally spiritual kind of place. And so her father takes her there and I'm not giving anything away because you know that in the first pair, you know, the first chapter, but, um, but we don't know why he has chosen to isolate them as he has. But one thing we do know is that he has sets of bottles and each bottle has a paper in it that contains a scent and they are incredibly important to him. He holds onto them at all costs. And, um, both the creation of those scents of those papers was a fun thing to play with. But also what I loved was the juxtaposition between the two of them because Emmeline is living in the now of a scent. She is fully paying attention as it yes. were. And they are, it is a living, breathing, ever-changing part of her life. And I think that that's a very important thing that smells do for us is that they remind us that time is fleeting, that we are mortal, that the world is ephemeral. And if you allow a perfume, you know, that's the cool thing about a perfume is it starts as one thing and it becomes something yes. else. And eventually it disappears, except you might 
find it again in someone's shirt, you know, yes. or, you know, and so it's this, this, if we allow ourselves to, to embrace that, I think there are a lot of really great life lessons that come from fragrances and scents. Now, Emmeline's father is trying desperately to hold on. These are scents from the past and he is trying very much to hold on. And when I was writing the book, selfies were really hitting it big time. Oh. It was driving me crazy <laughs> because people weren't, you know, they'd stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon, put their backs to it and take a picture. Yes. And, and I feel like we, you know, in the scent keeper, there is a technology that allows you to do the equivalent of a selfie with, with smells. Right. And I, you know, I worry about technologies like that. I mean, there is a prototype for something that's quite like the machine I created in the book. There is. Yeah. But I worry that, you know, there may come a day where we have all factory selfies and that would just break my heart because that's to me, the antithesis of, of what a smell should be. Yeah. I mean that whole, we won't get into that subject, but the whole um, virtual reality and Mm -hmm. just moving into the, you know, imaginary, I guess, who knows, maybe just because I don't, I, I don't know what it's going to be for, for smell, how that's going to get involved. But again, it's this experiencing the real world, the natural world and the state, the good, the bad, the ugly experiencing Mm -hmm. it exactly as it's meant to be, Mm -hmm. you know, naturally that's, I think there's nothing better than that, but (laughs) I think it's also what makes it scary for people because you can't hold on. Yeah, and I think the more we learn how to embrace that, the better we're off we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I also love just getting back to the character, Emmeline. I love how she then, again, we won't give anything away. But, <laughs> you know, she lives in the here and now, but as the story progresses, she does tap into the past. So she's not only living in the here and now, but then she realizes because she lived in the here and now so much, it helps her so much later on. Mm-hmm. Um, to navigate her new world and yeah. and you know make it better i mean i don't know how much we can give away so i don't want to say too much but it's i think you should just read it because there's so many really nice intertwining little um storylines so it's really great i was going to ask you what kind of feedback are you getting for people who are reading your stories are people saying oh i'm connecting with my sense of smell more or you know i'm I won't even put any words in your mouth. Just what kind of feedback are you getting about the stories? I mean, that is, those are my favorite letters to get are the ones that that are people who say, you know, I've never been much of a cook or I've always used recipes and now I'm using my nose, I'm using my fingers. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really engaging with food in a way that I haven't before, or man, I, I just never paid attention to the sense of smell. So anytime, I mean, that is my goal as a writer is, you know, if I have an intellectual goal, it's okay, I'm gonna make you see this thing that you have not been paying attention to in your life. Um, because that's, that's my job. I get to slow down and be quiet and think about it and present it in a way that's digestible so that then you have this shortcut, hopefully, um, to, to bringing that aspect into your life. And I, I love those letters. I- So let me ask you, what's next for you? What, what are you working on now? Uh, well, uh, I, my pandemic baby. <laughs> yeah, your pandemic baby. Like the, the book I worked on, it's not actually a book about the pandemic, thank heavens, no, no. but, um, you know, 
right as right before it started, um, I got this idea for a book. I've been talking to book clubs and also looking at the world and seeing how differently everyone could see the same thing. And in the case of book clubs, they were it was this wonderful place where where you could have a difference of opinion. And you'd approach that with curiosity rather than controversy. It's like, oh, really? You thought that? Why? You know? And there were these great discussions about difference. And then out in the world, there are these ways of seeing things, and everybody's locked and loaded into theirs. And they, there's very little talking going across. In fact, I often said that we should get, you know, Congress to do a book club. Yes. <laughs> Maybe we could help, you know. <laughs> um, but I had this idea about. What if I wrote a book about that? What if I wrote a book about how we all read the same book differently? And oh. so uh, the book comes out May 2nd and it's No Two Persons. And it starts with an author writing a book, young author. Uh, an event happens in her life that kind of breaks her open and makes her write this book. And then it goes out into the world and you see that book through nine different readers' eyes. And it hits each of them at a different point in their lives and changes them. And but each person is going to be changed in a different way. Oh, that's I can't wait. What's it's, it? What, tell me what it's called again. No two persons. No two uh, persons. Comes from the quote, no two persons ever read the same book. Right, right, right. We have to wait a little bit longer, though. That's you do May second, twenty twenty three. Long time out there, but yeah. <laughs> Maybe in the fall we can pre-order it already. I don't know. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> Well, there's three questions I always like to ask my guests at the end. Um, I did share those with you. I was can't wait to hear what you have to say. Um, but let me start with the first question. What's your favorite smell right now? Any, any smell? Just, um, you know, what's interesting is my, my new go-to one uh, is cardamom because it just <gasps> was a, a scent that was, you know, not in my repertoire for a long, long time. And I love how it's different in cooking or green or crowned, or it just changes. But you know, one thing I wanted to bring up, when I was going through the training and spending a lot of time, what I did, um, and this has to do with why certain smells, this, this does circle back to your question, I promise. The way I did my scent training was I bought a set of essential oils and I would take one a day and I would put like a drop or two on my wrist. I know you're not supposed to do it straight. But <laughs> Um, I didn't know any better. Right, and right. I would do that. And then I kept a journal and throughout the day I would smell it. And then I would write down um, if this was music, if this was conversation, if this was weather, if this was a color, if this was a country, if this any, any way I could think of, you know, to describe this scent and what was it doing to my mood and how was it, you know, changing me. And, and one, one thing I found that was interesting was you know, scents that I didn't know well. So labdanum and galbanum, those yeah. weren't, you know, those weren't in my wheelhouse. Yeah. And labdanum, I loved. I, it, I love it too. It just, you know, normally it's mixed with other things. I'd never gotten it just by itself. And it just made me calm and happy. And I, I could, it was just like the cashmere blanket of scents, you know? Exactly. And then I tried galbanum, which sounds a lot like labdanum and even looks kind of similar in right. the bottle and I put it on and after about an hour um my husband said could you scrub that off and I said <laughs> and I said and he said well because you're really grumpy and I don't like you very much right now oh wow and, um and I, he said I think it's the scent I think you need to wash that off 
and I did, and I was back to normal. And it really was such a, um, a, a persuasive argument for the power of it. I mean, I find when I go out and I'm you know, like looking for perfumes, it takes me forever to find a perfume that I wanna wear because I am, my moods are so affected mm-hmm. by that scent and it'll change. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I'll get one that I think is going to work. And, you know, by hour two, it's talcum powder on me and, and right. you know, or patchouli and, and neither right. one of them is going to work. Right. So, um, that I found to be really interesting. And so now I'm kind of on the hunt for those interesting scents like cardamom that also give me that amazing feel that I was getting off labdanum. Um, and so it's, it's kind of this evolving thing where I'm, it's a scavenger hunt, I guess. Do you know that we could form a cardamom club? The amount of people that have been on this podcast that have mentioned cardamom, there's a club out there. I'm telling you it's there's, we're in, I think we're in the season of cardamom. <laughs> no. And you know, they always say vanilla is like the universal. And I'm like, well, this is kind of grown up more interesting, you know? Yeah. 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 I think, you know, it's got this edge to it. It's a little but, bit more mysterious. I don't want to say mysterious, but more mysterious because vanilla is just friendly and, you know, comforting yeah. and you know, it's never going to hurt you. Cardamom, she might be <laughs> least, you know, you just don't know. <laughs> right, right, right. No, it's, I, I couldn't agree more. And I will join your cardamom club gladly. <laughs> <laughs> so my second question is, do you have a favorite scent memory that you'd be willing to share? You know, all my favorite ones generally revolve around wood smoke. It just, there's something about it. It's either a fireplace or it's camping. Okay. but I'm always happy and happy in a way that, you know, fire has that little element of danger to it. You know, I've come near tragedy with fires more than once. Oh boy. So there's that aspect to it as well. Um, but I do think that there's something and maybe, maybe it's because wood smoke is like the manifestation of scent. You're taking something that's physical and you're turning it into something that's basically aerosol. I don't know. It's, it's in the air yes, anyway. Yeah. And it's going to disappear, but it's also going to linger. And so I, I, I think it's the, it's like the living story of what scent means. Yeah. Um, and it, and it holds all those memories and it holds all those emotions all in one. And so it's a real easy one for me to look back at and say, yeah, that's what, that's, that's what smell means to me. Oh, I love it. So nice. So nice. Um, and the third question is, what would you say are five smells that best describe you? Well, okay, I'm going to go with the wood smoke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go for it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think the thing about wood smoke also in terms of who I am is there is always that sort of, there's a bit of sadness, there's a bit of nostalgia to it as well. Um, it is that scent that you find in your in your shirt later on and you remember the person or you remember the time. And I think that that is a feeling that comes across in my writing. It's certainly how I view life. There's a certain um, sepia tone to how I view life. Um, But then also the oranges, you know, from Pasadena, there's that sort of that brightness, that, that intellectual part, you know, that my brain loves to light up. I love doing research. I mean, that was one of the things about writing these books 
that was just so invigorating for me was I can't tell you how many books I read about the sense of smell, either biology, psychology, culture, right, right. you know, all, and you can come at it from every angle and there was always something new to learn. And I love that. I don't ever want to stop learning. So that the orange part is the part that wants to just kind of keep popping and, and doing that. Um, carve them because there's a weird edge to me that most people don't usually know. And everyone's it's also warm. Them. It's also it's very also warm. warm. And I think it's you're warm. warm. But, but it's not totally safe. And but most people <laughs> don't see that in me at all. So it's that it's that hidden scent that you come across later in your life. Um, chocolate, because you know, um, <laughs> there is this depth. I, I one time someone was trying to ask me to compare my writing. Um, there was a, a book called um, The Particular Sadness of Lemon Cake. Um, and now I'm going to forget the author's name and I feel terrible about that. She's an astonishing writer. But anyway, it, it's also about food and an and, and ability to feel the emotions of the person that was cooking the food. And someone was saying, okay, how would you compare your writing to hers? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, my writing is more like red wine and chocolate and she's more like a gin and tonic. <laughs> so um, good. I think I'm moving more in the gin and tonic direction, but particularly back then. So that's where the chocolate comes from and um, grass, because I think the interesting thing about grass, and I'm sure people on your show have already talked about this, but the scent that grass puts off is a message to all the other grass, like get growing. We yes. got it growing. We've been cut, you know, yes. and that both it's this sharp green scent. That's really cool, but it's also this, message of keep going, keep growing. And um, so I love that concept. I love that. I've never thought of cut grass in that way. That's great. Thank you. One of the things that I, when I was doing the research that so fascinated me was the headspace technology and that ability to go out and kind of capture a scent and turn it into a chemical equation. I'm still a big fan of the natural scent itself. And I think that there's something that can't be captured, but I also think that it's both environmentally and also scientifically fascinating that we can recreate these things. Well, Erica, thank you so much for joining me on An Aromatic Life. It was so great to talk to you and hopefully we can do it again when your new book comes out. Fun. Yeah, I would love that. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining me on An Aromatic Life. If you're interested in learning more about your sense of smell from all different perspectives, subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends too. And it would be really helpful if you could rate the podcast so it helps others find it too. I also invite you to check out my website, falkaromatherapy.com, where you'll find information about workshops, courses, and other programs I offer. And make sure you grab my free audio training, How to Smell to Be Well, which you can download from my website. Until next time, remember to smell everything and have a wonderful day.